Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Thing that we are launching in the spring. Dr. Price told us last year, the end of last year as a staff, she said, spring is my season for harvest. And actually, Prophet Mott prayed that. Even she and I, we pray on Saturdays, and she prayed that on Saturday. She said, even though it's spring, we summon in the harvest. And so it's like all these things are on the table to launch and come out from the organization. So you want to make sure that you stay tuned to Dr. Price's website, www.drpaulaaprice.com. Visit the website every week because something new is happening. What is happening now? You can secure your seat for her Soul of Success webinars, which will be rolling out in a few weeks where you can have one access to one webinar a week for four weeks. It's a whole series that we put together. Now, if you follow us, you know that the second Sunday of the month in the afternoon is Let's Talk Soul Sunday. And Dr. Price, she talks, and we cry. It's wonderful. Trust me. It's amazing. It is everything you need and then some to get your act together. <laughs> And to find out, not just to do the right things, because a lot of times, you know, you, you want to go to those things, find the 10 things that you should do. No, it's not that at all. It, this is a methodical, I will say, slow journey through the soul, because she teaches us that the soul is a being, not a concept, not an idea, not a poster, a single-dimensional flat thing on the wall, but your soul is a being, and it takes a minute to get through any kind of being. And so she goes through and, and meticulously highlights and pinpoints things like why I think the first, uh, the first four weeks or the first four sessions that are rolling out address why are you stuck in certain cycles in your life? Don't you want to know? I mean, at some point, I would say for myself, when you come to the place of wanting to take responsibility is when you start asking those types of questions. You shift away from why is everybody always picking on me and Murphy's Law and everything else outside of your control. And whenever you, and it might be in a moment of exasperation, God, what is it? Ah, that is the opportunity <laughs> to begin to insert the truth. And she teaches in 3D, the book 3D, The Soul of Success, which is available in her e-store, about taking responsibility for you for your decisions, for your actions. She has said this for years. This is one of the first things I heard her say on the subject, and I just went like this. But, you know, my earlier years, I think my neck was stuck like this. What did she just say? What did she just say? Now, not much has changed, but I'm just able to bluff it a little bit more. So I've been around for a long time. But I'm just like, what did she just say? <laughs> she goes, does that a little bit more. And she said that when 
you take responsibility for you because you are raising you. You may not have been able to control what happened to you because most of us cannot, but you can control how you respond to it and your, your, conscious, uh, your subsequent responses to what happened to you, through you, and anything like that. And so when you deal with that, all of a sudden you, you're lifelong blaming of mom and lifelong blaming of dad and the uncle that raped you and the cousins that molested you and the people who stole from you. All of a sudden you kind of have to put that somewhere else and say, but why, is, why did I choose to deal with that in this manner? And that's what it is. So you're serious because the Soul of Success series is for those who are serious about their deliverance, serious about your own success, about God's success through you. How about this? So many things fail in God because we as vessels fail. When you think about every time somebody quits something, whatever was waiting on the other side of their success isn't going to happen or it's going to happen later because now we have to find somebody else, get them ready, get them to stick to the plan, and do all those things. So the soul of success is for those who are serious. It really is. If you are ready to go to the next step, ready to take the responsibility of your liberty, the responsibility of your freedom, because I tell you what, bondage is an escape hatch for a lot of people. You know, my broke dog, my wounded ego, my addiction is the reason I can't do this and the reason I can't do that. And so you don't realize that some people really don't pursue deliverance because they don't want the responsibility of freedom. Then people are going to expect me to do better because they know I'm free. And I'm not really sure, I'm not really sure that they're ready for that kind of responsibility, especially if you spent a lifetime justifying, not finishing, not completing, or blaming why you are not successful on all of these outside forces. We'll just call them outside forces. Other people, as Dr. Price said in church, other people who didn't come to church today. And we're like, no, it's us. It's everybody in this room. (laughs) I want you to check that out. We also have going on here uh, next Thursday. See, I need a drum roll, too. Thank you, Rachel. She's my human sound effect as well. Next Thursday, we are rolling out GRN, God's Oil Network, on YouTube. And the Paul Price Show will be the first show to broadcast from that live. So yes, we will still be on Facebook. Yes, we will still be on Dr. Price's channel. And we will have one more piece of media set up here so we can be going live from GRN as well. We're so excited. Rachel's in her glory. She's the architect behind all this technicality happening. And so uh, she's in her glory. Look at what we can do and look at what we can do. And I'm excited to go and catch up on what other people have been doing as well. And so you'll see uh, the shows that always go live on Facebook will also have the opportunity to go live from GRM. So make sure when we go live that you subscribe to that channel so you get the notification saying GRM is live. GRN is live. God's Royal Network. God's Royal Network. God's Royal Network. You know, we can use the letter so much that we don't actually say what it is. Kind of like Soku. Can you say it? Scripturally organic, culturally modified, please. Scripturally organic. And you will see it, actually, when you uh, subscribe to the channel. New Year Apostleship Restitution. God's Royal Network. 
scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. It's all right there. We are super excited. This is the beginning of another huge dream. Come on, don't act like you don't know, because, you know, this is exactly where this is going. And we want you to be a part of that. So if you are new to the Dr. Paula Price world, let us know. If you're watching today, we want you to say where you're watching from. Did you find us on the Word Network? Did you find us on the Now Network? How did you find us? Did you find us on Facebook, on YouTube? Did somebody share a link with you? If you're new to the family, hey, what? If you're not new to the family, go ahead and post today. I first, where did you first find Dr. Price? Or how did she find you? <laughs> Were you in a bookstore? Did you look up and see the Prophet's Dictionary? We've heard that one a lot. The Holy Spirit said, Dr. Paul Price, or Paul Price. Look at Paul Price. Who is Paul Price? I don't know who she is. And I Googled it. I looked it up. Well, she's a real person. Oh, my goodness. She's a Christian. Wow, she is smart. You is smart. <laughs> and now we are smarter as a result. Speaking of Dr. Price being smart, praise the Lord, we have... Uh, one of our members reminded me of a book that Dr. Price has written, which we are also re-releasing in April. That'll be in April. We just have so many things happening, we had to shift some things around. So this will be in April. But she did Changing of the Guard in 1995 and Beyond. 1995 and Beyond was written in 1994. You know, you need to publish it ahead of time if you want to read this. Okay. And so she received it ahead of time, about what will be happening 1995 and beyond. And so we reintroduced this on the market maybe 10 years ago or so. Anyway, blew the dust off of it. And so she says here, in a word from the author, I introduced this book in January 1995 after a prophecy I received in the winter of 1994. This is why it is so important that prophets and apostles, the prophets have the discipline of writing down and documenting and cataloging their prophecies from God. At that time, she said the entire world was preoccupied. So let's go back to 1994. I was in high school. At least I was in preschool. It's a running joke that I have with Dr. Price when she talks about how God launched her in the ministry like when we were born. <laughs> 1982, three, two, five. 85. Oh, I was six. I was like in first grade. Yes. I was doing good. And so she said that her ministry was being born, and I'm always like, and so were we. <laughs> All right. So we're not as young as a lot of people think, but we were still pretty young. <laughs> so she said at that time, 1994, the entire world was preoccupied with the close of one millennium and the beginning of another. So the 80s was closing out. Let us remember that. 80s. All right. That's something to behold. 94. Uh, we're rolling in. Consumed with this thought, they were poised with an apocalyptic transition. Do you all remember this? Ha! Huh. Uh, dreading the judgment prophets had predicted would usher in the new century. The buzzword then was Y2K. Everybody remember Y2K? The Y2K fallout. You had Y2K paraphernalia and mugs, and, this, and the computers were going to blow up and die. And most of us remember that scare, but as it happened, time changed a decade, a century, and a millennium with little more than fun-filled New Year's Eve celebration, New Year's celebration. The year trudged on, and after a while, we all breathed a sigh of relief. <sighs> and we're back to business as usual. The world did not end. World systems did not crash. And, and, and greatly feared acts of God, God, you say like that, acts of God, it did not happen. 
all was well with the world, so fears of apocalyptic retribution subsided. For sure, there were incidents of terror and catastrophe, but the massive crisis that was expected to impact the world just didn't happen. The year aged as time marched on, and soon the year 2000 gave way to 2001. And we're all still alive. It was in this climate that the words of 1995 uh, quietly fulfilled themselves. Attention turned to family, as was predicted. Marriage was again at the forefront of society. One newspaper article actually showed one state in America imposing marriage readiness classes on its residents because they admitted that children and families, both parents, made for a strong society. Can we find that study? Oh, my goodness. The advent of the Internet, because it wasn't always accessible to us in mainstream, unleashed on children a host of predators and pedophiles that sold many of them into slavery. 1995 and beyond foresaw this. A huge billboard in Tulsa, Oklahoma, showed a little girl exemplifying the vicious pornography assault on our children. The book's prophecy reported this in 1994. This is why we're rolling it out yet again, so that we can stay in touch with what God is doing. Recently, uh, when, when this was revived, China was elected to host the Olympics. Remember, the Olympics were there. And the entire world attests to the mega mergers of mega companies, beer companies with food companies, internet companies with entertainment companies, and so it goes. This book also revealed these events way back in 1994. Now, stay tuned to Dr. Price's website and Facebook as well, because on Tuesday evening of next week, which is the 14, 15, 16, maybe, Saturday, the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th. Tuesday, next week, in the evening, 8 p.m., she is going to be a guest on Larry Robinson's show and is going to jump in to more issues tied to this book that she wrote in 1994. We're not going to talk about it today because she's going to actually talk about it then, next week, and things that she predicted in 1994, prophesied in 1994 about where we are right now with many things happening, not just in our country. And what I love about Dr. Price's mantle, what I love about seeing with how the prophetic works through her is that depending on what you're called to do really does depend on your reach. And so when you have that huge reach, uh, you can go as far as God will take you prophetically. So we're ready to transition to our extraordinary host who is ready to be, are you ready to be the apostle of the hour? Yeah, I'm going to preach the Jesus and Paula show. Yes. So I'm making him work. He's working. Yeah. Jesus is working. He gets to do the heavy lifting. He gets top billing. Yeah, if you get top billing, you've got to carry the load. <laughs> Jesus so, is carrying the load. So <laughs> he is the load bearer here. He is. So we let him say what he wants to say. I used to try. You know that. I used to work so hard trying to, um, um, what do you call it? Prepare. I just lay it out. She did. I'm a witness. Uh, she is definitely diligent. Oh, you knocked the thing up. She, uh, yes, was very diligent. Very diligent in her studies in her earlier days uh, with the show and would stay up and, and be Dr. Price. Mm -hmm. I would. And then God would show up and be God. And I mean, I have to scrap up all my notes. None of you who have been in the Lord's service for some time. 
you understand he does that. And so I did all of this work. I would have my notes. I had stickies. I had color. I had highlights. I mean, I had it. She did. It was wonderful. It was really good. You would have loved it. And 92% of the time, that isn't what she did. And so we finally had a discussion. And so I said, well, now, if you're going to be doing this, then guess what? I am not going to do that. He said, good. You know? That is your idea. Yeah, you know, because I was not going to make him the happy. And so now... They said, well, what are we going to do on Thursday? I said, it's going to be great. Jesus has a show. We're going to give him the lead and see what he does. And so one of the things I know is that the Bible is very specific about if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He said, if I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw people. So whatever you lift up is what you use to draw. So I lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. I don't know how long ago did we, go, did we call this Jesus and Paul show. Well, she's the Paul show's relative degree. I mean, last year, the end of the second part. There you go. I said, for real, for real. And I really was doing this because, you know, sometimes I just get tickled with him. He just blesses me so much. I'm so impressed with the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell him all the time, I'm so proud. I am so proud of Jesus. I don't know what to do. So I said, well, this is the Jesus and Paul show, but it's stuff. You know, a lot of times God uses fluky things to establish something that he wants. So I said, well, Thursday is going to be the Jesus and Paula show. And so then after that, he started showing up. Then I really could prepare. Because you know, he was like, well, if I got top billing, I'm probably going to pick the subject. I'm going to pick everything. <laughs> so now, Norma always brings me in, and, and we were in the car, and, you know, she, she well, baby, she's just a captive audience, because whatever I'm processing, she got to get it in the car. It's juice, though. You know? And so I said, Norma, God likes this. So now when we talk about Jesus and Paul, she said, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. Jesus got it. If you got an outside control, you got top billing, then you need to run with the show. How about that? We're going to make your name first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you get to draw people. Well, from the moment we started saying Jesus and Paul, he's just been breaking out the box. I was like, boy, God, you are having a blast. He comes up with stuff I never saw. So I just open up. I introduced him. I introduced the show. Welcome to the Jesus and Paula show. And after that, I say, we will see you on Monday at the congregation of the Sometimes she'll say, what did I say on today's show? I don't have a clue. And so, and I appreciate it. I, I think that, you know, the wonderful thing about being trained by the Lord Jesus Christ is that, when you let him train you. Because, see, there are several ways of, of knowing God, and I'm going to do a show on that when he's ready to talk about himself personally. And so, um, and so number one thing about God is that you have to stop treating him as prince. He hates being just treated as prince. Theologians treat God as prince. Yeah. Apostles and prophets treat him as a person. So if you want to get lost, you know, get lost in Christ so much that you get tossed out of them, theology is going to do it. Because okay. God, I mean, because it's going to toss you out of Christ. Now, are you saying that I dislike it? No, 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 no. I study thoroughly, read a lot of commentaries, and study. I, I realize that theology requires everybody to sound alike and to agree with the person who said it before them. So, you, so, so there's very little wiggle room for revelation. They don't want revelation. They want education. And so 
when you understand, and I'm not against it because I do require it. I have a program in my school. We're going we're gonna to do some theology, even if it's to figure out what in the world is good or what in the world is working or not working in Christ. Apostles had no theology. They had the man, Christ Jesus. So they dealt with the person who authored the print. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's amazing all in itself. But that requires something. That requires you having to, you know, snuggle up to the person. You cannot make God talk if he doesn't feel like talking. You cannot make him say what he's disinterested in discussing. You cannot make him fit your theology. He doesn't care about your sentiments. He said, I'm God. I'm the living God. So we're fond of saying that we have a living word, but we don't have a living God. Now, you need print to confirm the person. But you also need the person to verify the print. I, I, you know, you just heard her. She, I trust her with my material because I know that she's not trying to advance herself. She's not trying to get some points out there. You know, I have a lot of people even close to me will quote myself and not give, my, give me credit. I've heard them do it over and over again. And I'm like, but how could you be backing me and you taking credit for what you didn't do? You know, and you're declaring it as if it's your relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the danger of that. You know, we were talking last week about my work and about the prophetic. You know, when God wants something, he puts a fire on it. That fire can burn or it can purge. So it can literally destroy, it can injure you, or it can purge you. And so I've had many, many people attempting to run with this, and all you have is a sentence, a word, and a phrase until they back in the corner, at which point you have to admit. Knock <laughs> <Look> out. <laughs> because you, you, you cannot be an apostle of Jesus Christ and lack integrity, even the integrity of giving credit where it's due. And do credit. That is lack of integrity. I don't care what anybody tells you. It is lack of integrity. And we do it a lot in the body of Christ because we feel like folk can't sue you. So I'm going to tell you right now, the apostles told us how to handle such cases in the Bible. All right? So we have to we have to understand that. Well, why, do we, why, why are people tempted to do that? You know, why are they doing it? I'm going to read you a scripture. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the word prophet because I can't understand how we, you know, we plagiarize Jesus. We take credit for the Bible, don't read a piece of scripture. We plagiarize the man, and then we try to sound like we really deep. You know, God wrote, had Jeremiah write in Jeremiah 23, they steal my words. See, so the church is a large word fest, you know, but they steal God's word and, and then act as if they, they're somehow or another smarter than the Almighty. So God and I had deep conversations. So see, he's not going to give you a lot. He'll give you just enough to get you through the drop of dispensation he put in your soul. And then after that, he shuts down. And how do I know it? Because y'all keep talking about how much he shut down. And, you know, I don't even have to dig deep. I don't need a sensitive. You're like, God, just stop talking. Well, he stopped talking because you proved yourself to be unworthy of his purity by degrading his righteousness. And God's fussy about his righteousness because righteousness tends to lie. Proverbs said that. So the more right, you can tell when people today, we are, you know, people are sick, there's disease, 
pain, their, their trauma that kids are going through, all of that. All of that. And you know why? No righteousness. Because righteousness tends to life. And wisdom brings life to those who find it. So when we started talking, God gave me a word that is so powerful. He said, you, you know, I'm going to use you greatly. I'm going to do marvelous things. And, you know, he does it. And most of you all have prophesied, and many of you all, I won't say most, have prophesied. He said, but the one thing you can't do is lie. He said, because the devil lied from the beginning. It was his lie that made him the devil. Because his lie killed him. He said, so you want to stay with me? Don't lie. I said, oh, Jesus. Because, you know, we got the white lies, we've got the necessary lies, we've got the in-place lies, we've got the errors, and we've got the lie of omissions and, and all those kinds of things. And I said, well, Jesus, what can I do? Because people talk about me all the time, and they say to me, you know, I mean, but you're just strong, and your word is strong, and I don't know if I feel, and I wouldn't have said it like that, and I wouldn't have said that, and all of that. And, you know, when I was young in God, that used to bother me. Now, do I care? No. And you know why I don't care? Not because they aren't important and their assessment is not relevant or cannot be relevant. I have to stay with what keeps me in power. I like this power. See, I like it. You see how you say that? I love this man visiting me every day. I absolutely adore it. I love the mind of Christ and how he just breathes his mind into me. And before I can say I don't know, I know. I like it. I love being able to write thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of text that reveal him. Love it, love it, love it, love it. I love the songs. I love the, the worship. I love the intimacy. I love this. I want this. So the only reason that you will alter your ministerial covenant and the, the, the vow and guidelines God gave you or the parameters, that's a parameter for me, is that you don't really want it. You don't think it's all that valuable. I think it's awesome. So I love it. And I tell him all the time, you know, Jesus, I just, I just love that you do this. So I wake up this morning, and he's got all of this stuff to say. And I don't have, you know, I, now it took me the 25, 30 years to study because if you don't put it in, God can't find it. He's not, because even if he fills your spirit with all of his wisdom, your soul and your intellect cannot process it. So it's locked. So lack of education puts God's greatness on lockdown in your spirit because it has no pathway. See, you have education and knowledge and research and all of that gives your revelations pathways to become education. So you have to you have to put it in. You don't put it in, God's not going to work. Well, it says your father in you will, will speak in that hour. I love when people use that scripture. You know why? Because he did not say that to the new creature. He didn't say that to the newborn babe in Christ. He said that to apostles that he had trained for three and a half years. And then 40 more days, six more weeks after that. So God did not, a lot of these, these escape clauses and these disclaimers people want to use because they don't want to give him the time to study, they are quoted out of context. Of course, your, your, your doctor can go to a, a, a conference or a symposium and come back with a new technique and use it, and it works. If you went, you'd walk away talking about what? Because you have no foundation, you have no framework, you have no infrastructure for getting it right. So it's a foregone conclusion that you will take it back and try it and get it wrong. 
which is what we see. Because we see that all the time. But the same man that says that you have, you don't need anyone to teach you. That's why I know a lot of these translations, we got to get into the context. Because the words may be right, the print may be right, but the, the context of the character of God, the patterns of God is wrong. So you're talking, this man writes this, and he is Jesus' number one student. Did you know that? John. John and when they wanted to know anything about Jesus, the apostles went to John. Well, what did, what did John bring? John brought his intimacy with Christ and thus his, his eagerness with the author of Scripture, who was the author of his salvation. I was reading uh, a, a couple of them. I've been reading a lot of them. But I was reading a number of commentaries, you know, about God and about the Lord Jesus and about what is and isn't and all of that stuff. I was reading that. And, when I, and so they were talking about, you know, I've been working with Brother Enoch. You know, God, we, we, but first of all, you need a class on it because you need to know where to edit and excerpt. So, and so one, one theologian writes that, of course, writes it as if it's just print, and print passed down from people who just have an imagination from some people out there in the ancient era. And so, um, and so he wrote about James and he wrote about Jude and he wrote about Peter, you know, you know, addressing the fact that some excerpts are in their epistles. First of all, we don't have everything Jesus said. So it's pretty arrogant to assume you do. We don't have everything Jesus said. This is, when Google was not around then to capture everything. You know, they, so they, they didn't have Google. They had God who trusted various people to say certain things in his name. So he writes about that, and he says, so clearly James and Jew studied Enoch. Doesn't that sound good? That must be my theologians over there. No, that doesn't sound really good. I love these people. I love it. And so I, I, I'm telling you, I don't have, I'm, I'm not nothing, but I do position and put everything in context. So they write that, and they're writing like Jesus studied it, and then he, 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 he had to study Enoch in order to put his sermon together, you know, and, and on and on. And it's a tick of a theologian still a prince. God's not talking. They're just thinking. So they go. And he said that, and as I'm reading, I'm like, but does anybody, you know, did they think about the fact that James and Jude are his younger brothers? See, because they work on strength, not person. So James and Jude are Jesus' younger brothers. Now, Jesus does not manifest himself to Israel until he's 30. Number, you know, the age of the priest when people are supposed to be trusted with the word of God. And so but so for however old they were, we can say for the better part of 20 to maybe 25 years, he's their elder brother. And he's God. And he's the author of scripture. So, when I read theological commentary that treats them as if they were not relatives in the same house, and he was not the older brother that helped raise them, and that they would, he, I'm sure Jesus was a phenomenon in the house, because I'm a phenomenon in mine. 
So I know Jesus is a, was a phenomenon in the house, and they would ask him certain things, and uh, they <clears throat> whether he told them about his virgin birth or not, uh, uh, when they were younger, for sure they knew he was different. He had to tell them he was from another world. And he had to tell them he had a pre-existing life. Nobody said that. Yeah. So you going to sit down, Mr. and Miss Theologian, and treat, it, treat this man like he is an, uh, uh, the incarnate God. Now, why is that important? Because the number one assault against Jesus Christ is whether or not he is God. Did he come in the flesh? Is he from another world? Is he from another age? Is he from an eternal time or not? Because that's the power of salvation. So I'm listening to these, and I read them all. You know, I, I do. I read them all. And some of them I said, okay, so you and God were not on speaking terms. And it looks like you all were not even on thinking terms. Because the mind of Christ is not in you. And so, so theologians, you know, those commentaries, that's why I pushed the right before the garden. Because before the garden gives you quality, hot off the presses, straight from the author's mouth and mind, the theology of apostleship is prophetic. Many of you have the book. Those of you who don't, that's it. So, because most of the, many, I won't say many of the testimonies I've read, and I've read a lot of books, Many of them are personal devotions and personal testimonies and, and, you know, citations of personal experiences they had as acting as an apostle or acting as a prophet. I wasn't interested in that. I wanted to know why God said first apostles. I needed to know. I wanted to know why he said secondarily prophets. I wanted to know why the Great Commission said, go teach. See, I needed to know those core things in order for me to understand who Jesus is. And God had said to me before I wrote the book that the, the lion's share of difficulty people have with Christianity is they lock Jesus down to his human form and his mortality that sent them to hell. Yes. So he said, I want you to go before the garden. Mm-hmm. Now, we didn't come up with that name, but I'm glad we did. And from that moment on, because if we cannot understand what happened before the garden, we cannot appreciate why the garden uh, uh, drama played out the way it did. Right. So having that mind, because Jesus always made me know him as a person. He said, he, from the day I got up off the floor, I, told, I shared that in, a, in an earlier broadcast. From the moment I got off the floor talking in tongues, he stepped up. He kind of did me like he did with the guy that he opened the eyes, and, and, uh, and uh, I think it's John 9, where he opened the eyes, and, the, and they, they feed him, put him out to the synagogue. You know, they put me out when I started showing up. <laughs> <laughs> and when Jesus started showing out, I show up, he show out. It just wasn't, wasn't their, their cup of tea. So, and he said, he said, so um, are you going to thank the Lord or something like that? He said, well, who is he, Lord? Where are we? If I can find him, I'll thank him. And he said, he's been speaking to you. Jesus showed up to steal his work because unbelief had tried to deteriorate the man's faith. 
So, so that's why many times he did miracles in secret. He, and, he, and he dealt with the people that he blessed privately. Many times he said, don't talk to anybody. Go to the priest. Go to those who can verify me, who can authenticate this as a genuine miracle from me. So knowing God and wanting to hear from God requires you to believe, as Hebrews says, that he's God, that God exists. You realize a lot of Christians hope to go to heaven and they don't believe Jesus is real. I said, so you, so you might as well be going to Disney. Yeah, if you want to go, because to you it's all a fantasy. And they don't, they don't mislead you. We are about fantasy. So a lot of Christians want, don't, I don't want to do that. Many of you all don't want to read the Bible. That's why I wrote before the garden. I wrote before the garden, and people said, well, that's too hard. I said, well, if all of this is too hard, you too soft for Christ. Because your softness determines your, your reality with Jesus Christ. All I want to do is feel his love. All I want to do is, uh, is just, just love on him. All I want to do is just share with everybody, you know. And so when, I, when God gave me all of this, he just let me know, look, like he said to the others, they may not know me. To them I might be dead, but to you I'm alive and on the cross. I'm alive and off the cross. I'm alive and back on the throne. And you need to remember that. And so when I started, you know, reading all of because he gave me tons and tons and tons of books to read, when I started reading all of that and, and, and really looking at people's issue with him, I said, oh, okay, so the issue is they want to be God. They don't want to God. I mean, why did, God, why did Adam sell him out? Because he wanted to be God. Mm-hmm. He wanted to change his station. And so he sold him out. He sold the Lord out. So when you, when you think about why I do this and how I do it, I don't start with Jesus. Two things I don't start with. Number one, I don't start with Jesus' words. And in in, in his reality to me is that he is. He is. I'm telling you, he's amazing. He sits on the throne of creation. All creation obeys him, the light and the darkness, the good and the bad, the wicked and the righteous. They all obey him. He does, most times he doesn't even talk. He just thinks. And when he thinks, they get it. You know, I've watched him slap devils. I've watched him slap Satan upside the head. I've seen it. And I'm telling you, he reigns. He's not just ruling, he's reigning. So I don't think about that. I watch angels and the, the literal myriads of angels all around his throne and, and are just waiting for his next whatever, loving him that much. I looked at him and I said, first of all, the thing that tells me about Jesus Christ is that the man is so cool. I looked at I said, so nothing bothers you? Like, nothing? I don't even know if he blinks. I've never seen him blink. I think blinking is for us, because nothing would dare get in his eyes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even think. Gorgeous eyes, amazing eyelashes, the man is amazing. And so, and quiet, like there, and I don't mean just quiet, quiet in himself, quiet. And so, and, and, and to me, it's like, in God's mind, it's done. Everything is finished. So you have to believe that he is. And then you have to realize that Jesus has an experience, and he has a, a history with his creation that makes it makes us not want to believe in his justice and his righteousness and make a lot of people not want him. There are a lot of you all who love the word, love the hymns, love the Bible, love the prince, can't stand the man. Because 
or can't believe in the man. You'd rather believe in the Holy Ghost than the man Christ Jesus, and they are one and the same. And so you have to believe that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He will reward. I know. I'm a living witness the man rewards. Because God's got so many people rejecting him. He is looking to reward those that set accept him. Because everybody is born into the world rejecting the Son of God, rejecting the God Almighty, rejecting the truth. You know, we like to plaster Paris digs. I'm just saying. We like some handcrafted gifts, you know, so we can say we have a part in making that God God. So I don't, to me, and then the second thing, and, that, and I believe this is the thing that released God to bless me with so much of himself. And this is what I would always say. And my daughter will tell you, I quoted it from the time she was a little girl, let God be true in every man alive. I do not think humanity is true because he doesn't. And so when, they, when, when I reach conflict, when I'm into conflict, I encounter conflict, is this working for you all out there? Yes. Okay. Um, when I encounter conflict, I don't say, wow, but so-and-so said, and this one said, I don't say that. I did that once, and God was so sharp with me, I thought my breath wouldn't come back. And he said, I don't measure up to man. Man has to measure up to me. I said, yeah, but that, you know, because I'm still going to get it. <laughs> I'm about to move slow. And he said, I'm truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I said, oh, okay. And I just accepted it by faith, because at that time, I didn't know way, truth, or life. All I knew was that I got up off the floor, and he started t- taking on my life. That's all I knew. Maybe that was the life, too. And so he said, so from that moment on, every book I read had to line up to the man, Christ Jesus, as he presented himself to his apostles, closed himself to his prophets. So that is why the church, whether it likes it or not, is apostolic prophetic. That is why. Because God did not disclose himself. His, his, his dispensations, his foundations, etc. He didn't disclose them to any other ministers or officers. He disclosed it to us. So when we, you probably don't think I'm getting there, but I am. And I'm getting there, but some of you have said, well, what is it will take, and what, what will make God talk to me like that? Let me tell you something. You have to kiss everything off in order for him to do it. Because God said, I'm, I don't share my faith. I'm number one. And if I'm number two, then I'm going to receive and let you enjoy your life. I wanted to know him. When he asked me, what do you want from me? What's the most important thing in the world to you? What do you want from me? Because by now, you know, I've written the dictionary. I've written the book, constructing, and, and whatever. So he asked, he did one of those Solomon things with me. And I said, everybody was saying, well, I just asked for wisdom. I did. And you know what I asked for? I said, what I want is you. If I get all of you, I'm going to get all of that. That is my prayer. I said that prayer 1982, 83, 84, 85. He came again mid-1990s. I said it again. Came again this week. I said, I know you think I'm going to change, but I'm not changing. I want this. I want all of you there is to have, and I want it on your terms. Because I didn't have sense in the past. 
because, you know, I was like everybody else. You know, we, we make God in our image. And so I said, I want you. I want whatever makes you you. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it costs. I don't care about the effect. I just know that I'm going to grow up to it. I'm going to change because of it. So I've never, and that, I've always said that to him. And, and so when he, when I tell it to him again, he just said, done. I said, okay. Then I, I, I went to sleep, woke up the next time, boo was done. What, what, what is that? I don't need, I want to know this man. I want to know the man who created all that he did, dealt with all of the loss, because we act like God didn't suffer loss. All of the loss, all of the cost, all of this, I want to know. I want to know his realm. I want to know his kingship, not just his kingdom. I want to know his savior, his sovereignty, and not just his saviorship. See, I want to know that because I was built for that. I was made for God. God was not made for me. So I'm very clear on that. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to because I don't usually say this other than when I'm in my kitchen with um, team. Okay. So are we on YouTube? Yes, you're still on YouTube. Just letting you know. Okay. Sorry, Facebook. Y'all catch it later. YouTube. One thing I like about Apostle Ashley, she's just going to gather it, dump it, put it back up, and y'all won't miss a thing. So I need you all to understand what God is doing and why. You know, just think about it. I talk about Jesus' Facebook cut up. I wonder if they got their little, or their little codes to say, okay, panic, panic, panic. I don't know. Anyway, just theory. I like certain theory. But I want to read this to you because this explains the bulk of what God is doing and why. And it says here, uh, Psalm 19. This is one of the most powerful psalms for understanding how, why God is so soulological. Okay? It said, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Now, if anybody going to know God, David, is going to know Jesus. And it said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. So there's some real principles here. I'm not going to go through those, but if you are deeply involved in the Lord, you're going to love digging through this. Their line has gone out through all the earth, horizon, boundary, and their words to the end of the world. In there hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His goings forth has been from the end of heaven and his circuit to the end of it. There is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Thereof meaning there is nothing hid from the heat of the sun. And we all know that, too. All right. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. See, this is soul health and wellness. The law of the Lord, not the law of Moses, which is why God said that law fell short. So the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's testimony is wisdom. Not ours. We like to testify, you know, I'm just going to share my testimony. That's fine. That's good. Wonderful. That's information. That's not revelation. That's, you know, transference not tr- and transmission. But that is not God's world. 
word. Because God has lived a life, and he's lived a long time, and he's been through a lot, and he would love to share it with us so that we'll understand how things got to be the way they are on earth, which is what you'll find out if you purchase the book before the garden, God's eternal continuum. Now listen to the rest of this. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. Now, what does that mean, commandment of the Lord? That is when you can, you and God have hit such a place of agreement and such a place of um, companionship, oneness is what I would like to say, that when God points something out to you, you don't get offended. You go and you say, um, I didn't know that. Thank you for telling me. Or he goes to tell you to do something, you're like, I can't, I don't understand this, I just can't do it because I can't see it. How many times have we said that I can't see it? When you get to a point that God's commandments have changed your heart, your demeanor, your psychological self, then you don't tell him he's wrong. You say thank you for showing it to me. Thank you for revelation, enlightenment, and illumination. And I'll touch on that in a minute. And it says here, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. When you are in your God place, where God stations you in him, you don't fear his judgment. Just like a judge doesn't fear the judgment that they must hand down or they must be governed by. You don't fear it because you, you agree with God enough for his judgments, which means decisions and observations and critiques and all of that, for his judgments to be a motivation for you to manifest him in the natural world. That's what Job had. Job did not fear God's judgment. He didn't call, he didn't tell God he was evil. He didn't tell God any of that. He just said, if this is what the most high wants, this is what he gets. You can't say you love God and he can't get what he wants. So it says, um, more to be desired are they, they being the judgment, than gold, yea, than much of fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant, King David, is warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. God says he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So now you understand. This is part of the seeking. So God, what's your opinion? So God, what's your position on this? So, Lord, how is this looking to you? Why? You can at least get, give God credit for two things, his antiquity, he's the ancient of days, and his area of beauty. He sits high and looks low. Can you just give him credit for those two? They're kind of basic. Now, we don't even want to talk about the major one where is he's in everything that he created. And so, so God's judgments are not to intimidate you. They're to educate you. And so, because even if you disagree, God doesn't expect you to go and say, I'm sorry, religion is hard, God is hard, Christianity is tough, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't expect that. Not from those who are in his family. He expects you to say, you know what, God, I don't get it. Help me understand. Teach me. He said, teach me your way. Teach me your law. Teach me. God's not trying to teach you to make us some sort of um, um, uh, arrogant you know, haughty race of, of species of human, he's trying to teach us so we can carry out on earth what he does in heaven the way he does it for the reasons that he does. So if we don't understand his reasons 
and rationale, we will never appreciate his judgments, and we will always dodge them. So we'll hide secrets. Where was Adam hidden? He hid himself when he was disconnected from what used to make perfect sense to him. So he said, most people, most of us will seek God's judgment, but we've been taught, to, we've been taught teaching you to seek his permission and seek his approval. And when he withholds it, we are angry because we consider him not wanting us to have fun or somebody be lording over our faith. That's a child. Teenagers do that. Children do that. Adults want to manifest their parents' upbringing. Adult children consider their parents as counselors, advisors, and mentors. There needs to be a class for parents to understand how to parent their their adult children. There needs to be a session on that because and the children need to be there so they can understand a lot of that adult uh, parent child relationship within if the, if they understood that this these roles shift and if you can't be a good adult child to your parent you are not a good child of God because this is your template this is where you learn this is the proven ground this is the land. So when you have difficulty with your parents, good, bad, or ugly, that's why he makes a big deal about how you treat your parents speak to how he rewards you in the afterlife. Because the concept of parents is important to God because that is what he is. He's the father of spirits. So if you have, until you can mature your physical self and your zoological self, you will never, ever thrive and prosper the new creation. And in God's world, you're going to have problems with God because typically when you have problems with your parents, you've got problems with God because you hate authority. A lot of you all hate authority because you've been raised under American culture. You've been raised under the gods of this world. You've been raised under the, the, the psychological teachings and, and the, the, uh, the, the personal development principles and philosophies of this world, and so you hate authority. And what is authority? But that which is authored and thus, because of authorship, it has the first foundation. And a lot of you hate authority. Because if you don't author it yourself, as far as you're concerned, it's not valid. Now, that is the world. But that the world got that from their deity, from the, from the deity that parented them. You must change. Honor thy father and thy mother, that it may be well with you and that your days may be long on the earth. A lot of you are, are dying young. You got cancers, disease, and carrying on for that one simple thing. Your dishonoring of your parents, even though you felt that you were righteous, they treated me badly, blah, blah, blah. But that dishonor put you into that judgment under the law of the Lord. Now, that's a law that Moses got from heaven that is for eternal beings. So when your life is turbulent, you need to look at what you're doing with your parents or the authority figure in your life. Your mind, okay. You need to deal with your heart issues about your parents because God is righteous. He cannot, God can't bless them. He just can't. 
And so you have to look at that. You have to remember, think about, okay, when your, your mother or father's voice still skews you, you got an issue. If you're under that, that particular word, that mandate, that's, they said that's the first commandment with promise. God promises you that if you treat your parents right, he didn't say if they're good or bad, because God wants you to be able to outgrow your childhood pettiness. So he will make difficult issues seed in your relationship for your good, for your maturity, for you to outgrow. Because, and the reason that he does it also, which is very important, is that pretty much your favor is tied to that in God. God needs you to be a good child so that you can breed good children that will take care of you when you're old and you are in trouble and you have nobody to care for you. If you're one of those that stowed your family away in some sort of home and haven't been there since you put them there, your life will be turbulent because you will fall into God's disfavor. And so the most important thing in the world to you may be your business. It isn't to God. Now, God didn't say, he said, now, you know, parents, do not cause your children to obey me in grief. That's essentially what he means. But he holds everybody responsible for their own behavior and conduct. A lot of you all, you, you went out, want to blame God because you went out and got raped, got hit by a car, whatever. You did not obey. You chose that. This whole thing that the Hollywood's telling on you, that there's no such thing as consequential decisions, that is ridiculous. You know, I said stop. You said stop when? <laughs> See, that's the way of the world. But he, God says, honor so your mother, even when you are having issues with your family, particularly your parents, you have to ask God's opinion on the matter and trust that opinion. Trust that you, you know in part, and he, he sees all. I, I literally go to God on the basis of Hebrews 4.12. That's, my, that's, my, that's what I push, 4.12. And so I need you, I want you to think differently about your relationship and God's judgment. Because God may judge your, your parents righteous, but because of your childhood issues and your immaturity and your lack of, of, of obedience, you won't accept that they live longer than you. You think that what you see on social media gives you an advantage over the people who've lived life for 50, 60, 70 years. And Satan pumps that because it gives him permission to judge you, and it gives him permission to punish you and to sense So he's always going to tell you to play up at He's always going to tell you your parents are wrong. I mean, what is psychology based on the parents being wrong? Fundamentally, not all, fundamentally. It's always about the mother. It's always about the father. It's never about the person. Like, there are flawed people in the world. And parents are not the only ones that are flawed. But the mandate for the security of your life, it says this only, I'm telling you, that thing is so powerful, it says the only commandment was promise. Because if you can't treat your earthly parents right, whether you agree with them or not, God said you are dishonoring me. He said, and when I bring you here, you're going to cut up with me because in your mind, parent means yuck. 
In your mind, parent means dumb. In your mind, parent means pushy. In your mind, parent means wrong. Because when you are a kid, your present experience is your entire experience. Parents are not running on a present experience. They've made their mistakes. They've fallen. They've gotten up, etc. But the whole idea of that commandment, I, don't, I want you to hear me, is because God says if you can't see your parents as a gift from me, how could you see me as a gift to you? Some of you all don't take care of your parents. You, you freeload off of them. You don't pay bills. You don't buy food. You don't dust. Nothing can't get you to mow the lawn. All of that. And God is like, that all speaks to your sense of superiority over your parents. To you, age means subject to abuse, subject to neglect. A lot of these parents are in the hospital because their hearts are broken. A lot of them are suffering diseases because they had bitterness they could not talk about. They had problems with their kids who didn't care. They were treated like trash. This entire lost child, children lost, runaway kids, that was based on the world, Satan talking kids into spurning their parents and going it alone because he knows that if he takes you from under parental covering, you're an orphan, you fall under his orphan rules, and you, you become volatile to his orphan abuse. Because orphanhood literally puts you in that position. And so you can walk around and say, I'm sorry, I'm out here because my mother wouldn't let me go on a date. I'm out here because my dad wouldn't let me drive the car. I'm out here because they would not let me talk to my friends. You can say all you want, but I want you to understand that is your, that, that's the only hook. That's the lure that got you out there. And just now you're on the hook, and you still don't want to realize that you're about to be destroyed. Because you won't work it out with your parents. Because the world says that your parents are wrong and you're right. And you're right because your little pubescent emotions are defining who you are as a person and redefining your role in your parents' life. And you need to fix that. Because God's judgments are true. That's why I said, let God be true and every man alive. There are many times I said, but God, I just don't see it. He said, do you trust me? Yes, and then trust that I won't lie to you and trust that I know what I'm doing and I know what I'm saying. And you can't do it alone. You, everybody needs advisors. Everybody needs coaches. Everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs a consultant. We all need it because our perspectives get skewed at times in various events. And episodes in life can skew your perspective so much that it throws you back to an issue in childhood or childhood state of mind that you didn't intend and probably got rid of a long time ago. I love this. And it said, moreover, by them. What is it them? Is it your father right by God's judgment? Is thy servant born? And in keeping them, there is great reward. Most most these most people, because God's not considered to be omniscient, omnipresent, people bring God. You say, I don't really bring God down to my personal say, Yes, you do. Yes, you do, because you don't trust him to be omniscient. The personal measure of God that you have, that's all you know. So God, how God deals with you from the inside out, you, you expect to flood the world. And he said, who can understand, look at this, who can understand his error? Cleanse me from secret thoughts. 
it, the Bible said it is not in man. You were going to understand that the fall was exceedingly, exceedingly drastic, and it made humanity exceedingly flawed. We only think of sin as moral failure. Sin is not just a moral issue. Sin is a technology issue. It's a technical issue. It's a mechanical issue. It's a perspective issue. It's an attitudinal issue. That is why it takes a lifetime from the sinner's prayer to throw. Because your soul racked up all of that. And your soul is dark. That's why you don't, you're surprised if the things that come out your mouth sometimes like that. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Out of the abundance of your heart? So, and only mature people can take this. People who never want to grow up will always flee these sessions. Because as she said in the introduction, they will avoid them because self-righteousness is their redemption. They don't care about Christ's redemption. Self-righteousness is their redemption, which is why we develop our program, our, our, our prophetic advisement program. We have an advisors program. We have an advocacy program. We have um, the health and wellness. Why? Because he said, you can't do it alone. Who can understand his error? You don't even know why you made a mistake. I mean, you, you, you could say, I've been in the kitchen, I've made this dish a hundred times. Why did I top off my fingers? Why am I bleeding all over my favorite dish? I have cleaned this oven all this time. How did I hit my head and cut my forehead? Because you don't, and, you, and what does that say? I don't understand my error. But error was always present, waiting for distraction, waiting for assumption or pre a presumption, waiting for self-righteousness and haughtiness to show itself. Error, your errors wait for your weakest time, your most distracted time, or your most self-absorbed, self-consumed time. What do you mean? I walked this thing all this time. I never fell over this crack. But your state of mind, your I call it selfism, your selfism determines. And if you have a history, error knows it'll win because you have a history of being stuck in the same place. So it knows where to show up. And it says, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. And down here it says, sins of arrogance or overconfidence. Cockiness is going to take you out. It says, keep that thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Transgression. Do you all understand that? We love to go down here and say, this is how this psalm is read. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day, every speech is night unto night, shows not. There is no speech nor language where the voice is not heard. Let the meditations of my mouth, excuse me, of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We just skip over all other stuff. No, no, we don't want that. We want to go from, hey, God, great creation. Yay, keep it up. <laughs> And then we want to jump down to, 
I praise you. Let the, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Now, everything else David said, we don't care. Be acceptable in thy sight. Because God knows that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks, and what your mouth speaks becomes the deeds you do. Because your mouth will utter or prophesy your deeds. So, don't have a lot of time, but I, I think I laid out a little foundation. So, Psalm 16:10, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, leave, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Listen to this. And then Acts 2:27. Now, this is David, and this is Jesus, the eternal David. Acts 2.27, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thy suffer thine holy one to see corruption. So what are we talking about here? Hold on. Give me God. Yeah, that's where we go. The word soul, I want you to see something. This is so important. Did anybody say important? The soul is in Scripture 459 times, minimal. Now, I'm sure we have other, but minimal. The soul is in Scripture 459. God talks about soul. The majority of those times, the soul is equated to the body and vice versa. Because in God's mind, the soul is in the body are a single unit. So the entire Old Testament, however, has the bulk of the information and the wisdom you need about the soul. You know the Old Testament that we say is done away with? The obsolete Old Testament? So your Old Testament that you don't agree with, that you all say is outdated, because all you can see in there is the law, now, the law is just a piece of the Old Testament, and yet we, don't, we, we, we banished the Old Testament. We obsoleted and abolished it from our lives. However, the New Testament is only, is, is only, only mentioned soul 39 times, almost one time for every book of the Old Testament. 39 times. 39 books of the Old Testament. New Testament mentions soul 39 times. For the most part. Now, there's plural and all of that, so you all don't write me and tell me, because y'all know y'all be writing stuff. Your soul is mentioned 459 times in the Old Testament. So what does that tell you? The Old Testament is about your soul and God's soul. We just saw in, Act, in uh, Psalm 16.10, you will not leave my soul in hell. So now... David is mouthing the soul's destiny, which is hell. Isn't that powerful? So the soul is, comes into the planet destined to hell. So I introduce this by saying you want to bypass that righteous and legitimate destiny, you're going to have to go to Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Your soul must be converted. When God told when Jesus said to Peter, 
when you are converted, he was talking about Peter's soul. Peter was not converted to Jesus' way of life. He was interested. He was enthusiastic. He was even hopeful. But, but converting means flipping his soul. Convert means flip, essentially. Flipping his soul from how it came into the world to all of the classes that he had studied. Think about it. When he tells Peter this, that is the end of the program. Still not converted. And you know why? Because he disagreed with God's law. And it says the law of the Lord is perfect. God is not just talking about, and I, I, I did a whole course on the, the laws and use of terms in Scripture. God is not merely talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about the law of life. He's talking about the law of heaven. He's talking about the law of immortality. He's talking about the law of mortality. He's talking about the law of the flesh. He's talking about the law of the spirit. See, he's talking about more than that. And so you don't just get to pick the law that you can manage or sperm, which is the law of Moses. That law was for mortals, and it's a carnal law because it was for carnal people, and carnality is, is that group that's doomed to hell, destined to hell. So your job is to learn the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus because that was the law of death. Are you all appreciating this? Yes. Okay, so let's look at your soul. What else does the Bible say? Paul would definitely have a very clear perspective of the, of the Lord's mind on soul, soul. Okay? But the righteous will live by faith. If he shrinks back or if anyone draws back, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith, that is, believe, what to the saving of the soul. Your soul must first be converted in order to be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've given you all of these classes on, uh, on, on spirit, food of the spirit, gift of the spirit, Walk in the spirit, life in the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, because in the New Testament, the soul is only addressed 39 times. But in the end, your soul must be converted because David, Jesus Christ's human progenitor, knew his had to be. And so Jesus draws on David's words in Acts 2.27, you will not leave my soul in hell. You all are listening to these preachers telling you you're not going to hell if you don't. Let me tell you something. Your body goes to the dust. Your soul and spirit goes to hell. Why? Because God's not taking Satan's spirit back in heaven. And it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. So you can listen to them all day long. Because, again, people who don't want to be converted ignore truth. They despite they find it. But I just want to go on record to say, according to Scripture, I know you're listening to people talking about the, because I'm watching, you know, the Christian Bible and all of that. Are you kidding me? The fact that you say Christians say we won. <laughs> so I'm not impressed. But if God spared not his own son, Come on. There you go. See, we think that 
that God, we look at that that God did not spare his own son, meaning God didn't withhold him. And that's some of it. But the same way he did not spare his own son, he also didn't spare the angels that sinned. See, same thing. If God didn't spare his own son, who sinned not, who did not want sin in God's world according to God's standard, and yet because sin was put on him, he could not go back home. So if he spared not his own son, God was like, I don't know what makes you think I'm going to go, I'm not going to treat you better than I treat the one that never sinned. For there is none righteous, no, not one. So God sent Jesus to hell because heaven can't hold sinners. Heaven can't take sinners and not just moral sins. Your moral failures have, have, have everything to do with your physiological, soulological, and pneumatological defection, defectiveness. We are a defective species, which is why Jesus went to hell. We're defective. We're a defect. We're flawed. We have faults. He said we got faults. We got flaws. Why? We are not the model God made. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, God made man upright, and he invented many things. So let's find out. You know, usually when things in the Bible more than once, 1 Peter 1, 9 through 12, receiving the result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why are they saying this? Is what they always say. And if we said the prayer, all is saved, all is well. Clearly, all is not well. And so concerning this salvation, the prophets sought and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching for who or what kind of time the Spirit of Christ, listen to this. Does anybody hear that? Does anybody see this? These are Old Testament prophets who don't have a clue. David, who didn't have a clue, said, I foresaw the Lord who was always by my side. And so it says, who, who or what time, what kind of time, the spirit of Christ, which was in them. So Christ's spirit was in Old Testament prophets? So we had Christ way back then, or anointed one, because they probably would have used anointed, you know, Mashiach, whatever. But instead, the spirit of Christ was in those Old Testament prophets. That's what Peter said. I believe Peter. God knows he paid a price to say it. Pointed to when he predicted, the Lord Jesus Christ predicted the sufferings of Christ. In other words, predicted his future sufferings as the incarnate Messiah. And the glory that would follow them, to them, the prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to you, they ministered these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news, the gospel, to you by, listen to this, by the Holy Spirit sent out from heaven. Which things angels desire to look into. So this thing was heaven in heaven. Angels knew they were getting it ready. We were doing it all. It was really wonderful. They were in heaven. Holy Ghost hasn't come yet. And they're like, what are they talking about? Do you know what they think? Well, I don't know. We, you know how y'all do when I don't tell you anything? We just do what y'all 
We just do what we talk. That's what angels said. We just do what we, we don't understand it. We don't agree or disagree. We don't even know enough to agree. Just agree. We just do our job. So the angels desired to look into it, but they had better sense than to inquire of God of the things that he chose to keep secret. That he bound up in the Holy Ghost. It couldn't be revealed because of the, the pervasive and the extensive genetic nature of the gospel and what it's doing. How do we know Galatians 3, 3 8 says that the, the, the listen, that the gospel was preached. So this whole we don't do Old Testament is locking you out of how to convert your soul. Locking you out of how God feels about your soul. It's locking you out. That's why you meet your both, Christ University.org. Because we have an amazing salvation class that's probably being teaching. You need to understand that what you've been hearing about salvation is just a is is out of shell, the peel. You need to get to the core with the core where the seeds are. So when we say so, what do we say? What are we saying? Let's see what we got. I can do this, you know. All right. Now, let's get the soul. So, number one, this is the Bible. This is what the Bible says about soul. And then we have what people, you know, basically think about soul. So, let's start here. Okay, soul. First of all, soul encompasses your mind. Your mind is not your soul. So let's all, so we can stop that. So when they tell you that you're having side, they're just treating your mind. They're not treating all of the other elements of the soul that are contributing to your mental dysfunction or derangement. See, we don't use the word derange any longer, but you know, Webster gives you an amazing definition, the old Webster 18 for amazing definition of deranged. And deranged is the opposite of arranged. So when your soul is misarranged, you or when your mind is misarranged, you are deranged, which means and derangement has behaviors, it has attitudes, it has mentality. You know, you need to, I'm helping you enroll in my soul of success. So, so your soul is the substance of your body and the sequence of your spirit. We use the word psyche, which comes from suke. But your soul is the personification of you. It is the personal you that walks the planet. Your soul, soul is your ego, and it contains your brain. And we all know your brain is not your mind. I don't care how much neurological equipment they make. They still have to make something, some sort of instrument, to explain how the mind gets that stuff to the brain. And how the brain responds to the mind and it's programming of human behavior, first of all, human mentality that pro- produces or provokes human behavior. So your soul is mortal. We just got through reading it. Then we just get through reading You must believe to the saving of the soul, receiving the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. God will not leave your soul in hell, or your soul won't go to hell because Jesus is there. And every soul went to hell except Enoch, Elijah and Moses, at least that's the scripture says. Now there could be more, but it's points made. Okay, three pretty much makes points. 
that there are those who live a certain life. Your soul is your literally formats your character. And it doesn't just format it. It formulates character from what your outer person or your behaviors send to it. Your soul is the nucleus. It's your creature life. It's the principle of your life. It's how you're animated. It animates your body. Your spirit enlivens your soul, but your, but your soul animates your body. Your soul, a synonym for soul, is marrow, which is why Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder what? Joint and which is the equivalent of joint and marrow, which is the equivalent, or he says, the parallel of soul and spirit. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, because your heart sits in your soul. So and your soul is considered head, it's the pit in the other, it's, but here's something, the soul embodies your spirit. You're going to have to enroll in a class. I gave you this. Your soul is your source of wisdom. It's the core, the fundamental core of your humanity. Because your spirit is the core of your immortality. All right? Your soul defines you as an individual. It individuates you as a person. I know y'all don't think that's a word. Look it up. I do. It carries and it disseminates or distributes, rather, your nature. It receives that nature from your spirit. It's your vivacity, your personage. If you understand, then you get to realize that there's a lot more about the soul we've never talked about, but the Christian needs to know all of these must be converted by the word of God, the word of truth, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the new creation, your new spirit. So again, I will say to you, you know, God is hot on this, and I think, um, Apostle, he's hot on it for a reason, uh, for a very good reason, because he keeps saying, tell these people they're not saved. He said, because my spirit is not dwelling in them. And if my spirit is not in them, they're not saved. Whether you talk in tongues or not, that's a whole other discussion we'll have. But if God's Holy Spirit is not in you, you're still moving by Satan's spirit, who is feeding you false religion and false promises concerning redemption. So, but when we think about the way soul works in general, let's go here. Oh, here we go. Bible soul. Now, these are, these are ways the Bible defines soul. And as you can see, we're not going to get them all today. But it, the Bible soul is treated very differently than the psychological soul or the psychologist treatment of your soul, which is why Christian psychologists ought not to be giving you treatments and therapies from the world. They ought not to, all right? But the Bible's understanding of soul is, number one, it's yourself. houses your emotions like it does over there, Okay. It is the source of everything you. Look at this here phrase. Earth, air, oxygenate. It's the activity of your mind. 
is your earthly moral being. It is your heart residence. It is spirit to body interface. Here we go. It is the vital life animated. It is the site and generator of human blood. It is a part of it is a part of your body. Part of your body. See, because your spirit may enliven your soul to enliven your body, but you, you know that your spirit and your body don't touch. So it's the seat of your passion, the seat of your aversion. It is a breathing being. I thought you'd like that. It is the mortal, immortal being. I love this. It is the, the essence of the human clay. It determines how the clay that makes you flesh, puts flesh on you, is made. It is a breathing substance. It is flesh animated. It earns holiness by nature. It's called it's the suke soma. The suke soma is the soul and body. However, there is also the soma and socks, which is the flesh or skin. Now, and when we talk, of course, the classes are very much involved. It's the reason for physical sluggishness. When your soul is off, it, it is the reason for it. It's fused. Let me get it right. It's the backside of the body. It's fused with sperm. Let me go over here to look at this one here. It is the sensuous nature that is fused with devils until you're born again. That is why you can't get to heaven. Because you didn't cast out mama and daddy's devils in your soul. And you can't until you get a new spirit because they, they have a legitimate right to ride and reside in your body and in your being. They have a legitimate right. Okay? It sears your consciousness. It's the body organs and inorganic counterpart. Are you getting this? Because if you don't understand all of this, you don't. You still don't want to read your Bible. I don't want to read my Bible because it's too difficult. That's fine, but your Bible is your soul's nourishment. Because God's not nourished by the words of the world; He's nourished by the Word of Christ. We must believe by the until uh, the saving of the soul. Peter says, "As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, not the world, the Word." Half of what you have, the problems you have with the church, come on, King, half the problems that you have with the church right now is because you are nourished on the word. You're over-nourished on the word. Your nutrition is death. Your nutrition is devils. Your nutrition is demons. Your nutrition is sin. It's flawed. It's defective. So the same defect that you brought to God are the defects you're going to go with the grave in. Now, I've got one more to share with you. We'll go over normal. Um, I just want to finish this. Um, it's the seat of your appetites. We did that on the last soul of success. We introduced the power of appetite. Uh-huh. Yes, we did. Didn't we do that? Did y'all like it? <laughs> Woo. Let's go here. It, it's the cause of spiritual inertness. Your, your physical lethargy has to do with your soul doing its job or not. And, and, and you have to give the courses or give the classes to get a, a piece of this to understand it, but I just want you to recognize it is the activity of your will. It or, The soul orchestrates your will, to be honest with you. Seed of emotions and passion, and passion. I think that's really good. Excuse me. 
center and source of ungodliness. Why? Because your soul must be converted. And listen to me, people. Don't hang up and say, well, she just preaches negative. First of all, just because nobody, tell, nobody tells you it's going to storm doesn't mean it doesn't storm. And just because you decide that all news bureaus need to give up the weather doesn't stop the weather. But they tell you to prepare yourself. They tell you to repair that hole in your, your foundation. They tell you for very good reasons. And what we stop doing is telling you is telling you what to do about the issues you're paying. You're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on psychological treatment and therapy that's bypassing everything and that's locking its wisdom into your brain. So we can fix your brain, you'll be all right. But yet your brain is not the one. The brain is the slave. So you need to know that. And I like saying it. Truth heals and delivers your soul. The soul is only healed by truth serum. Now, you can get truth serum by you being with someone who's very good at their job, Christian or not, who will cause you to face your stuff, who will cause you to confront, cause you to own your stuff, that is, that, that's, that's the truth. That's the truth. The